0: Mother's, was, Mother's Day is one of those days where we get a lot of pent-up celebration and joy attached because, you know, we kind of forget moms for 364 days a year and uh, celebrate them for one. But the same is true for, for dads, right, because that's just not kind of our place, right? The parent's job is not to get celebrated that much or or uh, it's not to get thought about that much, it's to do the thinking and it's to do the celebrating and it's to do the creating the special moments that we create for our kids and uh, but it's good it's good to get to take days like this and remember there are women in our lives that should be celebrated and so much of what they do never gets seen by anybody so much of what they do feels like, or doesn't even, doesn't even feel like it's doing anything except for keeping the, the wheels spinning and the plates revolving, and it's just good to step back and, and say, happy Mother's Day. It's good to step back and say, thank you for what you do, and it matters, right? But, but it's not lost on me that this isn't a day of celebration for everybody, or it's a day of celebration that just has a little bit of a tinge attached to it, because For many of us, mom's not here anymore and we don't get to celebrate with her. Or um, relationships with mom is not what it should be and there's a break that we've experienced and and there's just that little tinge or maybe we've struggled with the desire to be mothers and, and that hasn't been fulfilled yet and there's that little tinge attached to it. But in all of that, it's a great opportunity to celebrate, and I'm thankful that we get some time to recognize the unsung heroes of our homes, the unsung heroes that that are making things happen. And in the passage we're looking at today, what I want to focus on is motherhood has a mission attached to it. Motherhood has a mission attached to it, and since it has a mission attached to it, it's big enough to comfort those little tinges of loss. It's big enough to comfort when something's broken. It's big enough to comfort when one desire is not fulfilled. It's a big enough mission to include and still provide purpose and, and, and richness into our lives because not all mothers are biological mothers or many mothers are biological mothers, but they have a whole string of children that aren't their biological children. They're spiritual children that they've invested in because motherhood has a mission. And so, in fact, in this passage today, it's probably addressing empty nesting mothers. It's probably addressing mothers who kind of passed into a new phase where there's not someone clamoring for their attention and constantly needing a nose wipe or a diaper changed or a lunch made. It's a group of people that now all of a sudden are able to look past or look up and to see there's this whole other purpose for this phase of their life. And it infuses that open capacity to a degree with an open purpose of God that doesn't stop as our kids age. It just resets and goes into a new direction. And so uh, I want to focus on the ministry and the mission of being a mom, which is make disciples. Make disciples. And so that's something that applies to everybody here, but it's something the passage specifically applies Uh, to the ladies that are part of the the family of faith. And so, we'll be in Titus chapter two, verses one through five. Titus chapter two, verses one through five. And so, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded and dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, Titus's word, or Paul's words, not mine, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure and working at home, to be kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men uh, to be self-controlled. Sorry, I went to the next verse, and so let's pray. Father as we pause to celebrate moms, I pray that a bigger purpose and a bigger mission would fill up their hearts. I pray, Father, that the richness of the gospel would be applied to their lives. God, that they wouldn't live with that nagging sense of of guilt. They wouldn't live with that, am I doing enough? They wouldn't live with uh, that sense of failure or not making it or drowning. They wouldn't live with, with, with just the nagging Uh, of their heart that it's not enough, God. That they would rest completely satisfied that you are enough. That your grace is enough. And that the grace that saves them is the grace that is part of their life and it's forming them. And the God who begun a good work in them hasn't stopped it because motherhood is all-consuming. He's continuing it and will continue it by his promise until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray there would be hope that infuses the soul of um, the ladies of this church, and I pray there'd be hope that f- infuses the soul of all of us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, mom's ministry is to make disciples. A mom's ministry is to make disciples. Let's look at the first part. Your character is always essential to your impact. Your character is always essential to your impact. Now, kind of qualifier, there's... I don't think, at least in my life, and maybe it's true for you, I don't think there is anything on earth that tempts us more to guilt than being a parent. It is so every day. It is so all-consuming, and it's like, I did too much. I didn't do enough. I said too much. I didn't say enough. Um, I I, I lost my temper again. I'm so busy. I was distracted. I was doing so many things around the house that I forgot to stop and listen to the story. Guilt, 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 guilt. And then they grow up and you miss those moments and regret, regret, regret. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ just as much as parents and as moms as our kids do. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that we are saved through faith. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that we stand. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that we are what we are. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that is accomplished in us who we are today, and it is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that anything meaningful and eternal will happen in the lives of our kids. And so, like, grace is yours, right? Rest in that. But there is a certain amount, and that's what I want to press on in this point, with that foundation firmly intact, so much of our life is more caught than it will ever be taught, Right? Our kids pick up our mannerisms, they pick up our habits, they pick up our phrases of speech, or they stop and make fun of them, one or the other, right? Uh, And so, so much of like what they learn, they they learn because they see us do it, and how they talk, or how they, you know, just so many different things that they learn, and so they catch them from, from us, and as we're trying to go through that, that same thing is true in the spiritual realm. So much of what we pass on to our kids will be caught from us as much it will be taught from us. And so are they catching habits and ways of speaking about people and speaking to people? Are they catching habits on the way we treat the people um, you know, that, that wait on us at tables or the way that we treat people at drive thrus Are they catching from us a graciousness and a speech that's seasoned with salt and redeems the time? Are they catching from us that people matter? Are they catching from us, man, sitting around a table and sharing a meal is an important thing? Are they catching from us those things? And so... We always wanna start with our own heart, our own character, and what the gospel is doing in us. Because it does not ever matter how many gifts and abilities you have, it doesn't matter your personality, it doesn't matter your parenting skills. If we don't have character, we don't make impact. And if we have a gospel character, that gospel character will make an impact. Don't hear me say have a perfect character. Because so much of the gospel is I have to learn how to repent well over and over again. And guess what your kids need to learn? How to repent well. Guess where they learn how to repent well? When we as parents are good at repenting. We're good at humbling ourselves when we're wrong. We're good at apologizing when we're wrong. We're good at naming and sharing, here's what I did and here's how I did it and here's what I was thinking and that was sinful against you. And I just want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. Our character is always essential to our impact. And so if we're going to make a, di- a difference in the next generation, it won't be because we're cool enough. If we're going to make a difference in the next generation, it won't be because we were were relevant enough. It won't be because we were cool enough buddies to hang out with. If we want to make a difference in the next generation, it will be because we were godly. We had cultivated a godliness and that we invested in their lives from a place of character and we invested in their lives from a place of gospel transformation. The only impact we're going to make on people is an impact that flows from character. Let's look at it as Titus unpacks that for us. You know, Titus' whole book is a book about here's the gospel, here's how you apply the gospel to your life. It is all about how do you live out sound doctrine. It's not about increase your theology, it's about increase your application. It is gospel salvation always leads to gospel transformation. And so as he transitions into chapter two, he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine." We have just left a conversation, and you know how he closed chapter one. You can look at it in your Bibles. There's a group of people who profess to know God. They talk a good game. Man, they know the right words. They may know the right theology. They know how to make a public profession of faith, but what does it say? They deny him by their works. But... Contrast, that can't be you and that can't be the people that you teach. That can't be the people that you shepherd. Instead, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. What does that mean? Teach the lifestyle that aligns with the gospel. Teach the way of life, teach the lifestyle, teach the application, teach living out the doctrine that we claim we believe. And so doctrine is never meant to stay up here in the mind. It's always meant to flow out into our lives. And so. Teach how people are to live the gospel out, and he makes a direct pivot from there to addressing the different ages and the different genders of the church. Because even as he applies doctrine to real life, he's not applying doctrine to real life to say, here, this is church, and here, this is the spiritual stuff, and here, this is quiet time. He's saying, no, here, this is what the gospel looks like as you start to get older as a guy. Here's what the gospel looks like as you start to get older as a lady. Here's what the gospel looks like in the everyday life of home and family and character and speech. Here's the gospel. And so that's what he does. He goes straight into this, this different stages in this very applied and very practical theology. And he begins by addressing, um, he, he begins by addressing older men and he talks about their faith, and he talks about their endurance, and then he moves to older women, right? Now, it's very dangerous to call women older women. (laughs) I'm aware of this fact, but Paul is not referring to that so much as an age that you reach He's probably addressing older men and older women as those who have reached a certain stage of life. It's a category of people whose children have gotten to the place where they're independent and possibly leaving the home, or where their children have gotten to the place where they have left the home and started their own homes themselves. Right? It's what we refer to as empty nesters. And so, older women are those whose kids are more self-sufficient, more independent, and it's a phase, it's a stage, that, or a spectrum that gets there, ultimately resulting in leaving and starting their own homes. And so, older women are those whose kids have kind of gotten to the place where they don't demand constant needy attention, or else you know they won't eat, or they'll you know their diapers will be a mess, or you know those kind of things. And so, older women those who have kind of reached the phase of empty nesters are the ones he's he's addressing. And I think he's addressing them because they've reached this page where they have this expanding capacity. You no longer have 24-7 demands on your attention anymore. You have a different capacity as your kids get older, and especially as your kids leave the house. He's also addressing them because you've done this long enough that you've reached a level of godliness. You see, Older women is not just you've made it to a certain age or stage. You've made it to a certain level of growth, a certain level of godliness. And he's gonna say that here in, in in these verses. So you've got extra capacity. You've matured in your faith. And by the way, you're maturing in your faith if you just do today faithfully. You're maturing in your faith not because you had an hour quiet time, you know, while the kids napped and you never sleep. You're maturing because you're simply doing today as faithfully as you can do today under the grace of God. He, he begun a good work in you. He'll complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's up to stuff in your life. And so you have this extra capacity. You have had God form in you through experience and through little moments of faithfulness, a, a, a character. And then you, you're met with this place where now all of a sudden, all of my purpose that was about my kids, you also have this, well, maybe there's this nagging loneliness. Or or what's my purpose now that I don't have kids to take care of, kids to raise, kids to take to ball practice, kids to take to school? Do I have purpose anymore? And so maybe you have a group of women with increased capacity, but also this increase of, what do I do now? And Paul says, wait, there's this thing called the church. It is amazing when your capacity goes up and you grow in the Lord. And now all of a sudden you want to know what your purpose is? Look around. Because there is dozens and dozens of of spiritual daughters out there who need a spiritual mother who didn't have a spiritual mother or their spiritual mother isn't in this family of faith right now. And they need you to lift up your eyes and look back at them and walk back into their lives to help them and equip them and encourage them and cheerlead for them. Maybe it's the stuff you had. Well, it's your turn now. Maybe it's the stuff you never had. And it's time to plant shade trees for a generation that will enjoy them that you never got to. But it's a call for women to have this capacity, to have this godliness, and to go invest in the next generation. And that's exactly what Titus is addressing in them. Go use it. Go apply it. But before he sends them to go invest in younger women, hey, you're older now. He makes sure to challenge them, is your character something that can make an impact on somebody? Is your character something that can make a godly impact on somebody? And so he stops and he looks at their character, and the way he he starts it is this general category, reverent in behavior. Well, reverent is a unique word in, in this text. It actually includes the temple in it. And so when he says reverent in behavior, he's saying behavior that is fit for the temple. You know, church behavior. Like occasionally I'll joke because you'll hear people say like, hey, you can't lie, you're in church. Like it's okay elsewhere. Like you can lie as long as you're not in church. You know, be on your best church behavior, kids. Well, what Paul is challenging Titus and what Titus is to encourage these young women to do, or or I'm sorry, that he's encouraging older women to do is live like you're at church all the time. And you know why he encourages them to that? Because they are at church all the time. You see, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt on earth in the middle of his people, and it was a holy place because of that. But in the New Testament, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the church, and so when I go out to Walmart, oh, it's a holy place, and I'm supposed to act like I'm at church at Walmart. I'm supposed to talk to people like I'm at church at Walmart. I'm supposed to act like I'm in the presence of the holy at Walmart because I am. And so women, how, how could I, how, and men, how could I just say, here's, here's the character you should have, and the word he uses is, act like you're at the temple because you're at the temple. And the kind of character that we need has a thousand applications and a thousand different words we could title it with, but it really just has this one main idea. Like you're in the presence of God. Live like you're in the presence of God and the rest will kinda sort itself out and it'll be fine. But then he goes into two uh, practical things, possibly because they're, they're predominant issues in the church at Crete and he needs to address them. Probably at least one of them is but he goes into two negative examples that he needs to correct within them. Because these things, if they're part of your life, are gonna kill any impact you can have, right? You can teach the best class on mothering, but if you're a slanderer, who's listening? You can teach the most amazing class on marriage to young women, but if you're a drunk, who's listening? If you don't have behavior fit for the temple, who's listening? And that's what he's going to say here. And so he starts with not slanderers. Right? So the word for slander is the word we get devil from. And if we're the kind of people that tear down other people's reputations, or if we're the kind of people who gossip, even if it's true, it's not helpful and it's not right for that conversation, Or if we're people who lie or if we're people who manipulate, if we use our tongue for destructive purposes, we're like the devil and we extend the work of the devil in the world. That's not exactly what we're aiming for here, right? And so the gospel empowers us on the positive sense. The gospel empowers us to have a controlled tongue. The gospel empowers us to speak a word that builds up and gives life to people instead of a word that takes away and tears down people. And the gospel empowers that. And so are we gonna be a people who live like we're in the presence of a holy God because we are? And are we gonna be people who use our tongues for the purposes of God to build up and not ever to tear down? Not slanderers. Not slaves to much wine. So alcohol must have been a problem in Crete because he mentions it multiple times in the book. So alcohol was a problem in the culture that they were a part of. So a couple of things about that. We won't dive into it too much. If you drink strong drink, it's sin. That's in the Bible, and it's listed. So don't argue with me about Christian freedom. If you drink strong drink, it's a quoted chapter and verse. It's sin, and, and that's something to repent before the Lord. If you get drunk, including buzzed, if you are mentally altered by alcohol, It is sin and it's not really up for discussion and you should repent and you should get right with the Lord on that. Past that is where we debate what is called Christian freedom. If it's one drink, or if it's two drinks, and if it's the glory of God, then some people choose to do that, and they choose to do that in honor of the Lord, and they choose to do that with a free conscience and conviction. Hopefully they choose to do that wisdom where we hold these things loosely. Like, I hold this loosely, you hold this loosely. Like, God, this is yours, and if for the sake of another person I would not eat meat for the rest of my life or drink for the rest of my life, then I gladly give that to you. Take it away, and I don't give a junk about it. Or I'll do it, if that's what you say do. I hold it loosely, right? And so within that is the confines of Christian freedom. There is sin, and then there's Christian freedom. And so what's happening here is that they, they are drinking to a level that is affecting their influence over other people. They're drinking to a level, whatever that level is, that their impact on other people is going to be tarnished by it. And if your impact on other people is affected by how much you drink... It's a problem, right? Now, I don't mean like there are, there's always people that like, you know, are gonna turn their nose up at anything. I mean if there is a good-willed person who, who is legitimately gonna have their influence from you impacted by it, then it's not worth it. So act like you're in the presence of a holy God because you are. Let the gospel control your speech to make people better instead of tear people down. And let the gospel determine what, if, how much, and where it is appropriate, if that is part of your life, but being willing to submit that to the Lord. And so I think what this section comes down to is this, there's people with amazing gifts and amazing abilities and amazing teaching and amazing personalities, and all kinds of amazing features to their life, but their character makes them absolutely unusable before the Lord or their character drastically impacts how usable they are for the Lord. And so that's what we want to challenge. Our character is always more important, or our character is always essential to our impact. And I think when it comes to mothers, one thing I want to leave, make sure I say before I leave this point is, something as simple as this, God is doing stuff in your life that you have no clue about. Right, because we've been at the phase where it's like you know, four, not all in diapers, but close, and it's like, I'm gonna survive today and hopefully get enough sleep to survive tomorrow. And the thought is, man, I, I, I can't do anything, I can't serve anything, this is all I can do. God is up to stuff in the middle of that, even if you have no clue about it. And you will come out, if you will just do today as faithfully as you can do today, and then you know, pray and ask for grace and do it again tomorrow, you come out of the other side. And you come out of the other side and God has done stuff that you didn't know he did, but it'll show up one day. And that's so much of how God works anyways. And so be encouraged. Like when, when you feel like you're so deep in the weeds that like a quiet time seems like a distant memory and you're seizing little moments to shoot up a desperate prayer before God, keep keeps shooting up that desperate prayer before God. He's up to stuff. He's doing it. Second, your ministry helps others apply the gospel to the everyday stuff of life. Your, your ministry helps others apply the gospel to everyday stuff of life. And you know I wrote like a whole one page less in my sermon today because I knew we had the baby dedication. I was like, that's okay. The time goes anyways, right? This is how this works. That's all right. Romans 12, one. By the mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, worshipful service. He does not say offer your Sunday mornings. He does not say offer four songs as you lead into a sermon that you have to listen to. He doesn't say offer your jam session in your car as you listen to worship music. He says offer you, offer all of you because the truth is you are always worshiping. Now the what and the who might be in question but you're always worshiping. Everyday life is worship and the reason I say that is because motherhood is a very everyday thing, isn't it? It's everyday life, it's mundane, it's routine and it's an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to present you back to God in the everyday normal stuff of life. And that's that's exactly where Paul is gonna instruct these, that's where these older women are gonna be instructed. Go walk into the everyday life of young women. Go speak into the everyday life of young women. Go attach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the day in and day out of life, right? And so look at it as as he jumps in. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children. And so go back and teach young women what? How to do a quiet time? How to study theology? Right? How to pray for an hour? Go back and teach a young mom what it's like to love a husband when life is so draining and so confu- uh, consuming for them. Walk back in there because nobody teaches us about this marriage thing. They just say, hey, have at it. Here's a couple of tidbits as we toast you and make jokes about how hard marriage is. Go have at it and do it. Nobody teaches us how to be married. Nobody teaches us how to be married with an honor to the Lord and a love for our spouse. Nobody does this anymore. Most people don't and so we walk into marriage and it's like figure it out. Well, some of you through trial and error have figured it out. Not perfectly, but in a way that is growing and intimate and stable and has something to offer someone else. And they don't have to figure it all out on their own because you get to give it to them. Like you can give them the cheat sheet. You can give them the answers from the back of the book in part. And so go teach older women, go walk into younger women's lives and teach them what it's like to love this guy called a husband because it's so easy to sit in a group of women and talk about how bad they are because they're awful. They're sinners, and so are you. But do you teach them how to speak gracious words about their husband? Do you teach them how to, how to think on and dwell on what's good about their husband and what their husband is doing? Uh, do, do you teach them about what, what it's like to, to be married? Do you teach them to see the best? Do you teach them to be their husband's best cheerleader? Do you teach them this practical stuff? Do you teach them a gospel truth like this? You are the biggest problem in your marriage. And I am the biggest problem in my marriage. Do you teach them things like that? Or is it always the other person's fault? And if they would just get it straight, then our marriage would be great. Nobody teaches us this stuff. Nobody teaches us what the gospel looks like when you have two kids and constant demands on your time. Go walk into some young woman's life and help her navigate that with a love for her, the Lord, that leads to a love for her husband. And guys, same thing, go walk into a young man's life, do the same thing, right? Teach them how to love their kids. Nobody teaches us how to raise kids, much less raise kids that love Jesus Christ, right? Um, you know, we think about how few of us were raised with family devotions. One of our classes just went through a, through a section on family worship. Nobody teaches us this stuff. Like, best case scenario, we had McDonald's in the same car together when I was growing up. You know, I come from a a divorced home, and so uh, in between ball practices, we had McDonald's, and we were all in the same car at the same time. That's not gospel parenting. That's what I know. Go figure it out. There's some of us of a little less no clue of what we're doing who can go walk into a young man's life, walk into a young woman's life, and say, Here's some ways I totally blew it and I'd do it different now. Here's some ways that you're doing great and I want to encourage you. Here's some things I would do and the way I would do it if I were in that situation. Go walk into somebody's life and help them. And then teach them practical stuff like purity. You know, purity is simply like if you had a bottle of water with dirt in the bottom and you shook it up, it's mixed and that's, so that's impure. And then pure is like you drain, you, you drain it through a, a filter of some sort, and out comes just water. Teach them gospel purity. Teach them gospel purity. Teach them gospel kindness. Don't just be nice to people. Be gospel nice to people. Teach them how to be self-controlled. Right? Our emotions aren't all over the place and erratic and exploding constantly. Our emotions are properly framed within the gospel so that they're properly expressed. Teach people how to live with some control because we need people to teach us how to do some control, self-control. And that's the kind of stuff. Teach them how to manage their home. Who would have ever thought that cooking meals and having people in your home and sitting around your table and and making lunches and cleaning up would be gospel ministry? But isn't that exactly what he says? Teach them how to manage their household so it keeps running the right way, so that it keeps running in a way that it does what it's supposed to do. Teach them how to work at home to keep the home running. Now, I don't believe that means they can't work outside the home. I I think that means is They're responsible for making sure that the kind of the wheels of the home keep rolling in the same direction. Now, yes, if the wheels of your home start falling off, and I don't, you know, if the wheels of your home start falling off, then like, hey, we need some more time and attention at home, right? But as long as the wheels uh, of the home are headed in in the right direction and they're moving forward, right? Just teach them how to do that. A meal plan. That's gospel ministry. Your ministry helps other people apply the gospel to the everyday stuff of life and there is no segment and there is no people and there is no area of life that the gospel isn't meant to touch. So moms, go help other moms do everyday ordinary stuff as gospel people. Last step, your impact helps protect the gospel from slander. Your impact helps protect the gospel from slander. We got any Zaxby's fans out there? I figure since I put you to sleep, this might wake a few of you up. Zaxby's, come on. Y'all know you're not telling the truth. We are Zaxby's connoisseurs from St. Augustine, Florida to Atlanta, Georgia. I think we have been to every Zaxby's along the interstate. So heading back from Zaxby's, uh, I'm sorry, heading back from Atlanta uh, a couple of weeks ago, and like, you know, I'm, I'm not really hungry, but I'm like, I need to eat, and nothing sounds good, so, you know, Zaxby's, right? Well, I, uh, drive through around the corner, so I, I park, and I go in, I'm the second person in line, and there's a worker there that like, ignores the person in front of me as long as they possibly could to where it's like awkward. Like, you know, like we're standing here, right? And you're standing there, right? And like, like normal people say hello. So uses as few words as possible, takes the order, and then it's my turn. And it's like the massive inconvenience of taking my order while you don't talk to me at all, don't greet me at all, but, but you take my order, fine, and it was good tenders tossed in Tongue Torch, juicy and spicy. Great meal! How was my experience? Awful experience. Kind of contrast that, Amy and I went to Dolan's for the first time uh, last fri- or Friday or so ago on, on, on a date And, uh, you know, the the menu's simple, but, like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I'm supposed to place my order and go here, and what are these sides, and what's the best thing? And this girl's so patient to, like, walk us through it, like, dummy, there's the sign. And, you know, yeah, yeah, you you place your order at the cash register, and you go over there, like, self-explanatory. And then uh, as we place our order, go to our seat, we run into one of our students. And he's, like, chatting us up, and he's all excited, and, and he's like, man, this place is great. The food is great. Tell me how it is. And then he comes back halfway through the meal. Was it good? And I'm like, yeah, man, it was awesome. Thanks so much. Food was great. How was the experience? Amazing. The food of the gospel is an amazing food. Now, some people hate it and reject it. Some people believe it and receive it. But the, the gospel is amazing. We get to impact how people experience the gospel, though will they have a Zaxby's experience of the gospel because they've met Christians like that and they're part of a, you know, they sit in a church experience like that? Or will they meet Dolan's types of people in the gospel and they'll have a church experience like that and they'll have people that love them like that? I can't change the gospel, but I can change how people experience and hear it when it's shared with them. And that's what he says, three So that statements to wrap this up. So that the word of God is not reviled. Meaning you live in such a way that the gospel is not easily dismissed by other people. It's not slandered or blasphemed. And so if if we teach young women and young men and old men and older women to live this kind of life, this gospel kind of life, if we do that, the gospel won't be easy to, to dismiss from a lost person that hears those words. Second one in verse eight, so that no opponent may have anything to say, meaning there's no legitimate charge that can be laid against the church or the people that are sharing the gospel. And then lastly and positive in verse 10, so that the gospel may be adorned, so that we might adorn the gospel of our God and Savior. The gospel might be properly enhanced to be seen as beautiful as as it is without any distraction. So the way we live our lives and the way we invest in the next generation and the way we invest in young women's lives and young men's lives is gonna have a chance to raise up a kind of people that make the gospel hard to dismiss, to raise up a group of people that wrap the gospel in the kind of clothing that shows it as beautiful as it truly is. That's the mission that you have. That's the mission that you have. And so it's your character, your character in a way that leads the gospel into everyday stuff of life, But this character comes with a mission. The lost world is gonna hear the gospel from people like this in a way that they wouldn't hear it otherwise. So motherhood doesn't just have a mission to make disciples. Motherhood has a mission that reaches all the way into the lost world at the same time. A few practical things as as we wrap up. What you do matters, keep it up. What you do matters, keep it up. Every conversation, every lunch, every coffee with somebody in a coffee shop where you patiently listen to their story and patiently give wisdom and advice, every time that you, you know, that you wipe a nose or read a bedtime story or say a bedtime prayer, everything that you do matters. Keep doing it. Recommit to doing it. Second, what specific areas is God calling you to cultivate in your life? What specific areas is God calling to cultivate in your life? A greater love, for people, your wife, your husband? A greater love for your kids, a greater love for the people around you? What is he calling you to cultivate? A marriage that puts Jesus on display? Parenting that reapplies the gospel? Your emotions being put in check so that they're properly governed by the gospel and they're not all over the place? Words that are under control and build up instead of tear down? What area of your life is the Holy Spirit like there? We need to work there. I'm up to stuff there. And then the last one, what, what and who is God calling you to invest in the next generation? What and who is God calling you to invest in the next generation? 1,000%, it starts with the people in your home. 1,000%, it never stops with the people in your home. Like, if your home is your defense mechanism about, against investing in anyone beyond your home, like that's, not, that's not the gospel, But if your home is a a primary place of discipleship that expands to where there's more and more children being added all the time, more and more people that need the gospel lived out all and all the time, yes, that's it. So who are some people that can be invited to be part of your family? Who are some people you can walk back and start that process of spiritual mothering so that the gospel isn't easy to dismiss. It's shown as beautiful as it really is. What you're doing matters, keep it up. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray the mission of motherhood would not be a burden of one more thing to do. It would be the great freedom of purpose in the chaos and the madness and the mundane. It would be the great freedom of the gospel adventure that doesn't stop because we're knee deep in the weeds and it doesn't stop because the house is so much quieter than it used to be. Father, I pray we'd be infused with hope because you're up to stuff in our life And I pray that you would throw us like life rafts to each other to be people that buoy up hope in this everyday stuff. That we give hope to the young moms around us and hope to the young dads around us and hope to the people around us. We wanna be those kind of people, God. So I pray we would be in Jesus' name, amen. So as we come to our time of invitation,